podcast one production. I was lying on the couch the other night and I saw this mashup on TV of all these video clips of these gorgeous grandkids sending messages of love to their grandparents about how they were missing them. Hi, Nonna, I miss you so much. Um, Can you push me on the swing when I see you again? And it just hit me in that moment how much these grandparents must be missing their grandkids and vice versa. Surely that's got to impact our feelings of loneliness and mental health. I can just feel it. I know that when all this is over, I am going to be hugging my friends and my extended family so much tighter than I ever had before and really trying to foster these meaningful connections. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. Loneliness in Australia was on the rise even before COVID-19 hit, with mums and children being two of the groups that are at risk. But how about loneliness in the wake of social distancing, isolation and work from home laws? I mean, how has this new world we're in impacted people's feelings of loneliness? You know, who is at risk and what can we do about it? Dr. Michelle Lim is a registered clinical psychologist and leads the Social Health and Wellbeing Laboratory out of Swinburne University in Melbourne. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. You've been researching loneliness for eight years. Tell me a bit about this research you've been doing. So a lot of the research I've been doing is kind of looking at the impact of loneliness on mental health. And as we know, um, you know, loneliness and and social isolation is is an issue during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So right now what we're doing is actually trying to find out um, how COVID-19 has actually affected the way we relate to people, um, how we live and how we function. And we're actually doing a global study right now to actually look at how these levels of social restrictions actually impact on our loneliness, um, on the way we interact, whether we're using social media more, the way we cope, uh, whether we're actually drinking more because of stresses related to the um, COVID-19 pandemic. So it's a massive study that's kind of being held around the world and that's something that we're doing right now. Have you got any hypotheses about how you think this will impact? That's a very good question. And as we know, you know, across the globe, they're very different in terms of the level of social restrictions that we have. We do think that the um, more social restrictions we have, uh, the more lonely, the more isolated, the poorer mental health we have. Um, And what we also think here is that we will find these contributing factors like uh, if you have lost your job, if you have unstable employment, those things will actually add to feeling more lonely. Uh, those are hypotheses at the moment, of course, because we've never had a pandemic before, but that's what we're expecting. What I'll be really interested to know with the data is whether there's been this kind of slingshot effect where as soon as restrictions are lifted and we're back to normal, everyone's going to party like hard and just socialise like we've never socialised before or whether it's going to be the flip side where everyone kind of stays in hibernation and gets used to, um, you know, staying at home. Yeah, that's a very good hypothesis. That could be a slingshot effect. And this is something that we will be able to detect because we actually monitor people over six months. So, you know, depending 
depending on the level of restrictions, whether it's, you know, being put on or, or getting taken off, because, you know, it's a global study, so it's also outside of Australia. We want to be able to see those effects. But the other thing is also kind of thinking about how people are coping differently across different countries. So that's a, another uh, point of interest for a lot of the researchers. Tell me a little bit about the state of Aussie's loneliness before COVID-19 hit. Was it an issue? In 2018 and 2019, we did large-scale community surveys around how Australians feel about their relationships. And this is mostly Australians that don't live alone, um, even though a small portion do. And we found that at least one in four Australians uh, reported what we call problematic levels of loneliness, which is quite significantly higher than the average uh, population. So, you know, a fair amount of people were already feeling that their relationships weren't really meeting up to their expectations prior to COVID-19. And is that your definition of loneliness? that people's relationships aren't meeting the expectation? That's right. So loneliness is what we call a perceived social isolation. So you would feel like your current relationships are not quite meeting the expectations of all or ideal relationships that you would prefer. So this might actually be more along the lines of not feeling your relationships are strong. So the quality of those ties that you have, a little bit less so with quantity. So loneliness is really what we call subjective uh, feeling of, of social isolation. So what's your take on how COVID will affect loneliness levels now? The truth of the matter is that we don't actually uh, or we've never had any kind of imposed social restrictions before, you know, and and there weren't any studies um, that have been done on this global scale where, you know, many of us are going through some level of social restrictions. So we don't really know the longer term impacts. What we do know is that people who are already lonely, they are going to have these added barriers because they're going to have much fewer face-to-face social interactions. Now, of course, it depends on one's um, level of resources and access to other people. Um, and I think that this is this pandemic really has highlighted how important it is for us to maintain healthy, positive relationships in our lives um, because we really do have to activate them uh, during a time of crisis. Yeah, it's so funny you say that because I literally dream about the long lunch I'm going to have with my girlfriends and I like message them and say, I already know, you know, I can almost taste the margarita in my hand and I am just craving us four girls together sitting at the table and I really miss the body language and the just all those subtle cues that you get when you connect with someone face to face that you just don't get over Zoom or FaceTime or anything like that. Yeah, and I think you're correct. I think when we are interacting almost solely on a new modality uh, where we're highly reliant only on uh, some sort of technology, I think people are actually reporting a higher level of um, stress around needing to concentrate very hard and, and actually report what we call almost this social isolation fatigue, where people are actually not sleeping as well, they're actually going to bed earlier um, because they're, they're finding it hard to adjust to this new mode of interaction and almost entirely uh, digital or using technology and not their usual face-to-face interactions. 
I'm curious to know, I know that there is no research available yet because we've never been in a pandemic like this before, but what sort of long-term impacts can you see happening? What we do have in terms of research is we do know that uh, social isolation itself, or if you're living alone or if you're lonely, uh, actually predicts a higher likelihood of an earlier death. So we do know that those trends, without the the environment of COVID-19, we do know that just being by ourselves or feeling like you're by yourself and no one has your back um, actually causes us to react with uh, more stress responses and we actually are more likely to be more unwell with cardiometabolic risk factors, uh, poorer uh, blood pressure regulation, uh, you know, and lower quality of life. So we do know those things. But in terms of the longer impacts, uh, we expect as psychologists that there are going to be longer uh, negative impacts on mental health. And there may also be uh, more issues with people who um, have, you know, chronic physical health conditions. We already know, for example, people are not really going to emergency departments. You know, they're actually avoiding uh, seeking treatment because of the fear of actually catching the virus. And this actually may then lead into more complicating, um, you know, symptoms that they, they already have and it just exacerbates that. Yeah, of course, because, you know, if you want to go and get your sort of routine prostate checkup or your annual skin check or anything like that, you might be putting that off at the moment, which we all know a lot of those uh, diseases, um, early intervention is the aim of the game. Let's delve into particular populations. So let's start with mums, for example. How do you think COVID is going to impact mums moving forward? I think that, um, and this is a real uh, great example of how, you know, you might be living with children and always functioning around, um, you know, a larger unit. Um, It doesn't mean that you don't feel stressed out or lonely. Um, And I think you gave a really fantastic example, Amelia, just now about hanging out with your girlfriends. We all know that relationships um, and different kinds of relationships give us different things. And when you are stuck with little children at home, you know, it can actually, um, you know, reduce your ability to gain your social needs from some other relationship because you're constantly taking care of little ones. And if you're also a working mom on top of that, Um, having to still be expected to do your nine to five job on top of taking care of children, that is particularly hard. So I think, um, you know, there's this level of, um, and and some moms talk about feeling trapped, for example, and, and, and just, you know, hoping that schools will reopen at some point or that it's safe enough to actually send their kids back to school because just because school's open doesn't mean that's safe. You know, looking forward to the day where they can make those decisions and, and that they can can actually do their work without those interruptions. I think it's been, for me, a real eye-opener in how important those five-minute interactions with friends and mums at the school gate and going to after-school sport or in the workplace. And it's funny, when those are taken away, you realise how actually how important they were and just that quick download with the mum about how your kids are driving you nuts or you had an argument with your partner. Now that I'm not having those and I have to have this formal Zoom meeting or, you know, 
try to get bingo happening on Zoom and everyone's talking over each other. I miss those and I can feel how you start to have that feeling of being trapped. But then I think about children, right? How do you think this is impacting kids who are, you know, such social little butterflies at school all day? That's a very good question. I also depend, I think it depends on the age group as well, because as as, you're, as we know, teenagers, for example, you know, have a fear of missing out. FOMO. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and even though they're very competent with using technology, um, there are people who prefer shared act- activity, um, you know, just what we call almost incidental social interaction, which is what you described just now, you know, the need for that. And I think this pandemic has highlighted how we're all interweave, you know, where we all make up this social fabric, you know, and, and the virus has actually um, started to expose that, you know, that once you actually have to, you know, uh, almost kind of break the social fabric, that people actually get stressed out and actually realize, oh, I'm so dependent on that minute level of interaction and and children and and teenagers and and young adults are no different, you know, and it might be, in fact, more of a challenge for them because a lot of them have higher social needs than adults and older adults, you know, so um, they need more to actually feel more fulfilled. And what about for older children that are, you know, using social media, you know, we're always told that you've got to limit the screen time and children shouldn't be interacting through social media all the time. But obviously in this environment, they are interacting more through social media, which can have its own challenges. Do you see that as a worry that kids might be spending more time on social media or do you think it's necessary in this environment and okay? I guess why we, we kind of pull it back a little bit is, is, is that, you know, for us is understanding how long and persistent we are going to be in this level of social restrictions where we do only have to or, or can only interact um, using technology because I imagine if it's something kind of more temporary it's probably the effects or the longer term effects um, aren't actually there uh, with the current research without uh, I guess the COVID-19 environment there's this what we call a Goldilocks uh, kind of hypothesis around social media use so not too much not too little just right and in fact there's some research around if um, children or young people are not allowed at all to interact with their friends on technology they actually suffer you know and, and this idea of like missing out on shared activity that's done by their peers and that that can actually have a very detrimental effect on them as well and then of course the opposite end is where you're on it all the time and 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 maybe you might be more exposed to uh, the negative aspects whether it's bullying cyberbullying or you know uh, where young people maybe compare themselves to each other too much and then you you get the detrimental effects so you know i think the theory here is about how you use it is more important and actually limiting a time where um, you don't actually uh, have those detrimental effects coming in. older populations. I mean, I've never had more Facebook messages and memes sent to me from my mum, um, <laughs> who's a social butterfly, and I think she's feeling the pinch. Um, she's in her late 70s and she's definitely feeling it. What's your thoughts on 
older populations and how they're weathering their COVID storm? I think it's very, very hard for older Australians, especially when you know, a lot of them are reliant on the day-to-day interactions that they have maybe you know, around a community. And now not being able to do that, it's a massive... Uh, I guess message toll on, on their mental health, you know, and it's very hard sometimes to persuade some older Australians to stay home and, and to reduce the social activity. And I think it was very much the case earlier on uh, when we actually started to just implement the social restrictions. Um, I feel at this stage, you know, um, all of us have to chip in to help the more vulnerable because COVID-19 has really highlighted uh, the, the, I guess the fractures in our society, those who are socially vulnerable, those who are economically vulnerable. And those, are, those of us who are luckier or more fortunate uh, should actually be doing our little part, uh, whether it's reaching out to, to an older Australian who might need instrumental support or emotional support. Um, and, and of course, doing those things within the guidelines of our you know, health department, for example. Uh, All of us have a role to play. And I think that this COVID-19 has really highlighted all those vulnerable groups like older Australians that, you know, we, we can all do something to help. And I do think this is one of the upsides and the positives that's coming out of this situation is that kind of global coming together and you hear the stories of the, you know, apartment blocks in the piazza in Italy where they're opening their windows and having trivia contests or singing or, you know, that kind of thing I think is a beautiful way of coming together and one of the upsides. Tell me, Michelle, what can we do to help others feel less lonely? As a mum, you know, we've got girlfriends, we've got older family members, we've got children. What are some things we can do to help those that might be feeling the loneliness pinch around us? Look, if if you um, have technology, do do use it, but do use it wisely and in smart ways, right? So I think I often hear about a lot of people kind of just turning on Zoom for the sake of just having someone there, but not really interacting. You know, if we're going to interact now and we're going to interact using technology or even just having a chat, you know, with your neighbor across the fence, make that interaction really meaningful and and put in the effort because, you know, those little meaningful interactions make a massive difference. Um, I think that it, it, focusing on the quality as opposed to quantity is, is much more useful, especially uh, making someone feel valued. That's something that we can do. Um, and also, we can help people who we don't know, <laughs> you know, people who live in a community, an, an elderly neighbor. We might not know their name, but it doesn't stop you from putting a note under their door and asking if there's anything they need, uh, making sure that you check that, you know, someone's got their back as well. And I think you said this very clearly, you know, the community spirit is strong, you know, and I think we need to activate that. You know, is it donation to the food bank? Is it helping out uh, vulnerable uh, students at this stage that that's again those little things can make a difference uh, don't discount those little actions um, I think a lot of people say well you know um, I'm also you know uh, in a vulnerable position well all of us are so we all have to kind of wear this together and we can weather this together um, I think what we really need is a, a strong community approach not just taking care of friends and families but kind of the, the wider community. 
what about ourselves? What about if we are sitting here right now feeling like we've just become full-blown introverts and we're not connecting with anyone and we're starting to feel that loneliness pinch but maybe also kind of a bit shy and introverted and not wanting to reach out? What should we do when we are feeling lonely ourselves? Emily, that's a, a very good question because I think that most people... Uh, when we talk about loneliness, most people don't want to say that they are lonely and they, they're reluctant because, you know, there's this connotation there's something wrong with you when in fact there isn't. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's like, you know, you don't mind saying that you're mad or you feel guilty as a mum, but I could never imagine going to someone I don't know very well and going, oh, I'm a bit of a Nigel nobody. I'm feeling a bit lonely right now. I think what we really need to acknowledge here is that loneliness is a need and, and just because we live with someone or just because we have children or we're married doesn't mean that we can't be lonely. Um, you know, our social needs are met by many different kinds of relationships, not just one. So, and it's okay. You know, there are people who might be quite satisfied, for example, with just one person. But if that's not you, that's actually really okay. That just means that, you know, you need your social needs to be met by a variety of different things. You know, there's more, you need more colour in your social interactions and in your social world. And being able to ask for help um, in a way that you feel comfortable without signaling the vulnerability. Um, you know, there are ways of doing that, but being kind of a bit more overt to ask for, for that interaction is actually quite important because when people do feel lonely, they don't really ask for a company or they don't actually ask for those interactions very clearly. And I think actually being able to, you know, use COVID-19 as a bit of a an excuse to actually say, I, I'm really feeling really isolated and lonely and stressed out because of all of this. I really need a friend right now. I just need to just chat with someone, you know, kind of really casually, but also really stressing the importance of that need. That's actually absolutely uh, your, your right to take care of your own health. And if you can take care of your mental health, you know, you'll take care of, of, of the people who live around you. Definitely. If someone reached out to me like that, um, I would hear that loud and clear and, you know, do what I could to assist them. So I think that message of if you are feeling lonely, you know, do reach out and do be clear about it is a really, really good one. Michelle, one last parting thought from you on meaningful connections. What's a tip of how we can really foster a meaningful connection with somebody else? I think meaningful connections take time and they take effort and they don't appear magically. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, sometimes they have old friends that they've known, you know, since prim like primary school or high school and they go, oh, well, you know, I don't have to put in effort in this, with this person. They're always there. But that, that can be quite rare. And I think most relationships take work. They, they don't have to take... Um, a lot of work all at one time but most relationships take a little bit of effort over a period of time and that that's the kind of stuff that grows um, and it's worth it to, to actually put in that effort we don't have to to make massive gestures uh, to actually please our friends but the little things that we can do matter and those little things often don't cost money you know, checking in on someone, having that thought and having that care, um, making sure that, 
you know, if a friend is in crisis, to show that support right away and and to acknowledge that their, you know, their feelings. And that's really important for us to nurture along the way. And if anything, I think COVID-19 has really highlighted the need for these healthy relationships. We need to develop them and we need to maintain them because at times of crisis, it's really important that we have a, a strong network around us. Michelle, thank you so much. I I am feeling a bit lonely in the booth here all by myself while you're across <laughs> <laughs> across the state, but you're making me feel that little bit less lonely by chatting with you now. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Amelia. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Sound production by Matt Nicklich. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.